Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. I heard this crazy stat the other day. Did you know that the average person is productive for less than three hours out of an eight-hour workday? Five hours of wasted time. How can that be normal? normal and try ClickUp. ClickUp helps you break the norm and get more done in less time by replacing all of your unorganized work apps and bringing your tasks, docs, goals, chats, and more into a single shared workspace. ClickUp's customer service is unmatched, and they're making the world infinitely more productive. So join over 100,000 teams at companies like Airbnb, Google, and Uber who already use ClickUp to level up their productivity. With ClickUp, you'll save one day every week, guaranteed which means more time to spend with family, taking that ultimate road trip, or whatever you want to spend more time doing. ClickUp is free forever. So sign up today at clickup.com slash podcast one. He's been running these streets for years. And he's still here. And so is fear. Undisputed, never lost around. Bodies hit the ground. 
When the bad guy comes to town American gangster, this man will put a hurt on you You'll be crying for your mama by the time he's through You better believe that your life's in danger When you see the American gangster What's happening guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome Learning what makes John Jones tick is, is pretty interesting for me. I, I mean, the guy, he's very unique, right? There's a fine line in genius and insanity. And the ones that you say that see that are really great at something generally focus on something bizarre that many of the rest of you never even considered. And it's that thing that makes him great. I mean, John is a motivated guy. And you'll wonder, how does he stay so motivated? He's so good at what he does. What, what makes him hungry? These are all very fair questions. These are questions... That other athletes would ask John. Other other athletes that want to come out and copy him. Not everybody just wants to know how to punch and kick and do a spinning elbow like John Jones. They want to understand how to extend their career. John came out and he said he knows that he has to win the heavyweight championship to solidify himself as GOAT. And he believes he's already the greatest of all time. He knows he's the greatest light heavyweight of all time by far. But when he's done with the career, he doesn't want there to be any debate. Now, in the very short term, those are going to be positive things. Those are going to help to drive and motivate and get him out of bed in the morning and get him to the gym to try to obtain goals that he's already achieved, such as being the champion of the world. Hard spot. I mean, you've got to find something. And it looks as though John has identified for us what it is that he has found in the short term. In the long term, it's a loser's mentality. Or at least I should say it is a losing mentality. Again, his exact words are, I do not want there to be any debate. The whole thing's a debate. There is no championship. There is no title. There is no way to contest this. There is no lineage. There is no competitive architecture. The whole thing is a debate. And he would like for there not to be a debate for him to be the greatest of all time. There has to be a debate. The whole thing is... John and Daniel Cormier... We're publicly arguing through social media as recently as three weeks ago because Daniel Cormier made the comment that John cannot go down as the greatest of all time, including even within the light heavyweight division because he has so many infractions for drug violations and cheating. But that's a real part of the debate. History is written by the winners, not by the losers. So the way the story is going to go and the way the story is going to be told is all going to be an argument. And many people that are going to have a meaningful say in that argument have already voiced their opinion that if you cheat the sport and you cheat your opponents, your wins don't count. Which isn't only a new phenomenon in MMA. It's, it's one that's got a history within baseball or football, tennis, other sports where people have been in violations of the rules. So if you want a clean slate... That would be the most that you could hope for. The most that you could reasonably hope for is a clean slate. Okay, I did this back then, but I went straight on this day. I want to be judged from here on. Now, that's asking a lot, but let's say you get your way because that's the most that you could ask for. There's really not any records that John has. He doesn't have the most defenses. He doesn't have the most wins. He doesn't have the most years at top. If you reset that slate, which would be anything post-UFC 200, and then you that's before you get into the Picogram discussion. Where a guy passed a drug test even though he failed the drug test. Only athlete in the history of the world that I know that you could say that about. But that continues to live on. 
So it just gets to be a little bit weird. How much is that going to follow him? Could he get a clean slate if he went up to heavyweight, did the champ-champ thing in a champ-champ era, and by the way, was now at a disadvantage because he's weighing in at 230 when they've got the right to go up to 265. How much weight would that carry? I think that John is completely right that that carries weight. You're splitting hairs, though, and you're being silly. That's what an argument is. Arguments are generally silly, and they're done by silly people trying to convince somebody who already has their mind made up and they're not willing to change their mind, even if confronted with new evidence, is silly, and it's a waste of time. But that's what we're doing here. So when you have a champ champ, such as Conor McGregor, who made this thing fashionable, it was unique in that Conor was still the 145-pound champion when he became the 55-pound champion. George St. Pierre, by example, who came in later and did the champ champ thing, if you wanted to be literal on the fact, did not. He was a champ of one division, and then at a separate time, he was a champ of another division. Now, that's close enough for the girls that we go with, right? We count that. But John foolishly gave up one championship, so he cannot do what Connor did. He just can never be the champ champ. So when you have this debate that he hopes doesn't exist, but it does exist, in fact, the whole thing is premised around a debate, he's going to lose to Connor just in that regard. Connor was the champ and another champ. He had a belt over both shoulders. I'm only offering this to you because this is where these debates go. So in the short term, for John to have something to be motivated about is very good for John. And it's also interesting. I found that interesting. That something still drives a guy so decorated with accolades. On the other hand, you look at you go, John, now be careful here. And you don't want to tell him this now, right? If you're part of Team John, whatever gets the guy motivated now, you don't want to tell him this whole thing's going to be a debate and you're already coming up short because your management team foolishly had you give up a belt. So even if you become the champion of the division, you are not a champ champ. You're not part of the champ champ club because you took yourself out of it. With our help, we foolishly allowed you to sign this. I mean, it's just one of those weird things. Matt Lindland, top wrestler in the country, back in his collegiate days. He's going into his senior year. He's ranked number one. NCAA tournament, he's 36-0. and 0. He's the Big 8 champion, which back then was in argument with the Big 12, or I apologize, the Big 10 for what the most difficult division was to win. Matt had everything going his way. Before the season started, he got called into his coach's office. And the coach had him write down all of his goals before he got there, and they were going to assess Matt's goals. The coach did this with each athlete. And one of the things that Matt had, Matt only wrote two things down. Be undefeated, be a national champion. So when the coach read that, he told Matt, you're not going to go undefeated. You're, you're going to get beat, but we can still do this national ch- I don't want this to detour you. When you get beat, you can still win the national tournament. Very few guys don't lose that go on to be national champions. So just know that. And so the coach was telling him from a good-hearted standpoint of let's never get detoured from the bigger of the two goals, which is to be national champion. Let's not ever get detoured from that. But it's not what the coach said. The coach who Matt Lindland trusted said to him, you're not going to go undefeated. So every single time that Matt stepped on the mat, He would look across at the opponent and he would wonder, is this the one? Is this the one coach assured me was going to happen? He assured me I was going to get beat. Is is this the night? 
He finds himself in the opening round at 9 a.m. of the NCAA tournament, 36-0, Big 8 champion, number one seed, asking himself, is this the one? It hasn't happened yet, and Coach told me it would happen, and we're to the final tournament. And sure enough, biggest upset of the tournament went against Matt Lindland. I bring that to you because when John comes out and says, I don't want there to be a bait, he wants to win a fictional crown that is only written down and only recognized by the biggest voice in the room who happens to write it down on a .com somewhere, which is nothing more than a debate. You see why the guy's kind of stupid? Tony Ferguson, oh my gosh, this one had me stumped. I was laughing so hard. I don't even know if this is funny. It struck me as funny. He comes out and says, if Oliveira misses weight by more than three pounds, the fight's off. I'm not fighting him. And the reason I thought it was funny is because if he missed weight. I've heard that one before. It's rare. A fighter will call it ahead of time. I have heard it, though. I've even heard it in big fights. Conor McGregor said it about his fight with Khabib. Said it at Thursday. Don't forget they weighed in on Friday. Day before weigh-ins, Conor said, no, we have a contracted weight. He's got to make the weight. And the press pushed back, and they said, well, are you saying you won't fight him? You won't fight him if he misses weight. And Khabib had missed weight, I think, twice in his career. And Conor said he's got to make the contracted weight. That's how he answered it. He didn't say yes or no. He said he's got to make the contracted weight, which means no. No, the fight will, will be off. Now, whether he stood to his guns or not, we'll never know. I only offer that example to you to tell you I have heard of guys before saying this weight matters. You break the deal. Fight's off. I've never heard of any. And this is what made me laugh. I've never heard of anybody say he can miss weight. He can miss it by a pound. He can miss it by two pounds. He cannot miss it by any more than three pounds. Because you wonder, well, how serious are we about that? Three pounds, one-tenth over. Fights off, fights on. 2.9 pounds. Fights on, fights off. He was very specific to say that, and he even had reason so. I mean, Tony was well thought out in this. Apparently, DeBronx, Oliveira, has missed weight multiple times. I believe it was two times. It could be up to three times in his career. I was not aware of that. I bring it to you because perhaps you weren't aware of it. And he missed weight by meaningful amounts. He didn't miss it by a half a pound or a quarter of a pound, tenth of a pound. He missed it by several pounds. And therefore, Tony took the weight. I think he missed it one time by four pounds. But Tony took however much Oliver is known to miss weight by, shrink that down, find some kind of an average, and spot him three. Okay. I th- and by the way, I take Tony at his word, and I don't know that Tony's being unreasonable. If a guy misses weight and has broken the deal because nobody else will punish that guy, it's almost incumbent upon you to punish him. But by you punishing him, you punish yourself, you punish all the fans, and you piss off the MMA world. It's one of those but you've done nothing wrong. It's, it's one of those weird times in life, and definitely within the sport, when the guy who has been violated will be punished greater if he refuses to do something that the guy who promised he would do something didn't do. It's one of these things. And so I, do, I don't think this will ever be tested. I do not believe that we're going to see this. But it's at least interesting enough that we must discuss it because Tony Ferguson, who is a man of his word and who does take weigh-ins very seriously, I mean, we know that, We know that because of UFC 249, where it got moved two weeks and Tony made weight on the day that he originally agreed to make weight and made it again on the second time he agreed to make weight. I mean, numbers matter to Tony. Weights matter at specific times. 
They really matter to Tony. They matter to all of us. They really matter to Tony. This could be a very unusual situation if Tony is cool in the gang with Oliveira missing weight, plus he doesn't have to make championship weight, right? It's 155 pounds, but a non-champion, that, that means 156. You get that pound. So he gets an additional three on top of that, but no more. And then when you look at this fight, it's also interesting to know, where do they go from here? It's, it's very different paths in, in, in some ways, right? I was talking to Errol Hawani earlier today. This was not an insider information. This was Errol sharing a personal opinion. I offer that for you. It doesn't come out. It doesn't go against Errol's credibility as an insider. He was just personally saying he believes a win by Tony could go as far as bringing Khabib out of retirement. And his only argument on that was, look, Khabib has done everything. There is nothing in the sport, in the division, nothing. All the numbers are beautiful. 29-0 and 0 is a beautiful, never-before-done number that nobody meaningful on the roster right now looks like they can even copy, let alone beat. Right? I mean, the guy that's getting ready to beat 29-0 and 0 is a 6th grader or a 5th grader somewhere in the world right now. It's one of those things where these numbers are beautiful. Khabib has done everything, to Ariel's point, except beat Tony. Does he need to beat to I'm not going down that road. Is that an important thing to he, his father, his family, his team? I'm not going down that road. I don't know. I don't have the foggiest idea. It is true, though, if you wanted to poke something in the in Khabib's side, it would be that. You've done everything in the world that you said you were going to do except beat Tony Ferguson. It's one of those things where, as Ariel said it, it did make me at least think. It did make me at least think because in the ab- if something's going to be true, then the opposite side of the coin has to be false. So, is there anything that would is mo- is there anything more likely to get Khabib back than a fight with Tony? If we've already established it is not fame that makes Khabib tick, then putting him in a main event somewhere is not going to do it. If we've already established that it is not money that makes Khabib tick, then giving him a rematch with Connor is not going to do it. We're going to need something else. Is that something else, Tony? I don't think that was the worst uh, prediction I've ever heard. In fact, I think there was something there. So where does Tony go? Whether it's into Khabib, whether it's a winner of Poirier-McGregor, I think we would all at least and expect it to be something pretty damn cool. For Tony, does is the same true for DeBronx? Right? If Oliveira wins, does it does it bump him to that absolute upper echelon? He's already ranked number five. He's on a seven-fight win streak. But generally in this sport, you go to main card, you go to co-main event, you go to main event, you go to title fight. General, find a lot of examples where you don't do that. This is a co-main event. Do you go from co-main event over a guy who's coming off a loss in Tony to a world championship fight? Because if you don't, then where do you go? Right, Oliveira is going to be one of the guys too. Oliveira will not be possible to undermine for any reason. He's already not there for wins, losses, for recent wins, losses, for rankings purposes. He's already not there. He's only not there for name recognition. That all changes. You beat Tony for sure. Everyone will be talking about. It. Everybody will be paying attention. Everybody will want to see you next. Is it enough to disrupt? The Chandler, Gaethje, Connor, Poirier four-way that we have right now. 
Because if we're right to establish Gaethje, Chandler, Connor, Poirier, kind of in a bracket as of to themselves, and the winners are going to advance, that takes up the better balance of 2021. What does Oliveira do in the meantime? Now he, he doesn't get to fight a winner coming off all these impressive wins. He would be forced to fight a loser if he, in fact, is going to stay at the top of the bill. Because without a Chandler, Gaethje, Connor Port, you see where you go. It's just one of these things. It's one of these things where it isn't equal for both guys. I wouldn't predict. A lot of it has to do with how does the win look? What does he have to say afterwards? How much of our attention and captivation of our imagination can he garner? If you're a business owner, you don't need us to tell you that running a business is tough. But you might be making it harder on yourself than necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software that you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your finances, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place instantaneously. Whether you're doing millions or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash chael. Schedule your free product tour right now. Just go to netsuite.com slash chael. netsuite.com slash chael. Jamal Hill, guys, I don't know if there's a fighter that I could like anymore. I, this guy's fun. I liked everything about him over the weekend. I liked the way he walked to the ring. I liked the way he performed. And there's certain things that athletes can do, and I'm talking athletes here, okay, where you will quickly identify them as special. A special athlete doesn't have, I'm not talking about wins and losses and what's your resume and how many medals you have in a shoebox in your closet. I'm talking about what your potential is as far as the movements of your body. Your speed, your flexibility, your timing. I mean, all these things that go into any sport that you're going to excel in. But within this sport of MMA, there's a couple of very specifics within your feet where you can see somebody special. One is called the pull, right? You can bob, you can weave, you can duck, you can parry. The pull is a backbend. A pull is like what Anderson Silva will do, Uriah Hall will do, Izzy Adesanya will do. I might be out of options to name for you that will do, where they actually bend their back. Very difficult, and it even comes down to gender. There's something within the back of the male, you'll see this with gymnasts, that makes it a little bit more difficult for a male than a female. And I was told what this was one time by a gymnast, now I can't recall it. But when you see what these athletes able to do the pull, and bend their body back as a way of avoiding a kick or a strike. It's just an athletic move that you will stand out and go, okay, this guy has something special here. One of these things. I tie that in with Jamal Hill because the other one is an ability to go to the body. Body shots are very uncommon in MMA. 
they're very uncommon because your time to work inside, your time to see this, your time to time this, dip out, boom, find that liver, boom, find that kidney. It's very difficult to do because we don't spend a lot of time inside. You're not inside head-to-head fighting. You're forced to do that in boxing because clinching is illegal or at least will be separated by the referee, so there's not a lot of point of doing it. So if you get right there, you're forehead to forehead, you're bobbing and weaving and you're digging and you're digging and he's digging and you're blocking. That's normal in boxing. You'll never see that position in MMA. One of the guys will just grab the other one, and the referee won't stop it, and now you have an advantage. right? You could be in the dirty box position where you got a guy around his neck and you give him the, the punches like a hockey game, but it's not illegal, so you would do it. It is frowned on in boxing, so they don't do it, which is why you see that position, which is why you see body shots in boxing and why you don't see them in MMA by a large part. So when you find a guy in MMA that can work his way in, find that body and work his way back out, you're now seeing something special. This is what Jamal Hill Hill does so well. He was digging to OSP's body, but he was was doing it so seamlessly. He was doing it like it was a jab or a cross to the head, bump, bump to the body, come back upstairs. It was one of these things where you're watching a rare athlete, and you're going, okay, just how, just how talented, purely athletically, is this guy? I can see his drive, I can see his grit, I can see his toughness and his willingness. But just how athletically blessed is he? Because no matter what the guy that's writing the self-help book wants to tell you, that well, where there's a will, there's a way, and you can achieve anything if you work hard enough. As great as those things sound, they're not real. So when you see somebody like Hill that is this skilled athletically, oh, by the way, then he has some of the other intangibles of heart, of grit, of toughness, of not being scared. Standing across from OSP is a scary thing. A lot of guys have tried, not a lot of guys have succeeded. Jamil Hill was all over. He showed him no respect, none. He showed showed OSP the kind of lack of respect that OSP used to show to other guys when he was getting his run through the business. It's an interesting athlete that I want to call to your guys' attention. Not to mention he's undefeated. The guy's like 9-0 and now. 8-0, and 9-0, 10-0. Well, he's won a whole bunch of fights and he hasn't lost any. Okay, good enough? Yeah, good enough for me too. I would tell you, Ozdemir, matchup-wise, Ozdemir with his kickboxing, his aggressiveness versus Jamil Hill, Jamal Hill would be very fun. Johnny Walker versus Hill is the fight to make. It's the fight to make. With that reach of Walker, he's going to give him problems. With that ability to get inside by Jamal Hill, he's going to give Walker problems. With Walker, uh, Walker's tendencies to stand up and trade. Training in Thailand, wanted to go and show some of those great kickboxing skills, and Walker's got him. To show that against Jamal Hill, that's a fun match. I'm not a guy that really makes matches or even makes predictions for matches, but I'm sharing with you. I'm sharing with you right now. If if I read Walker versus Jamal Hill, I will mark that on my calendar. I will stop what I'm doing, and I think you guys would do the same. Rumble Johnson to Bellator. I got to tell you, I'm a Rumble fan. I'm what you would call a mark for Rumble, but I've been wanting to see him come back. I didn't see the Bellator thing coming, by the way. I mean, the timeline was pretty simple. Rumble retires from the sport. Rumble announces he wants to come back to the sport. Rumble enters the USADA testing pool. Rumble signs with Bellator. You see where that comes as a surprise. 
If you wanted to talk with Bellator or were free to talk to Bellator and or other organizations, the time to do that seemingly would have been prior to entering the pool. Once you enter the pool, it would seem as though everything's agreed upon and done. So that's where you have the surprise factor. But the only thing we don't have as a piece to the puzzle with Bellator is what weight class. And I don't know that that's fair for me to say we don't have that. It actually has been said that he's going to go to light heavyweight. I'm the one arguing as a voice in the room. Why? Why light heavyweight? What is down there? For example, they've got Corey Anderson. They've got Phil Davis. Machida plays around in that weight class. I'm just saying it looks as though that weight, that weight class for the short term, not to mention you got Nemkov, who's the sitting champion. That weight class in the short term looks like the, it's handled. Why not test the waters at heavyweight? It could be an answer. I would just like it. I just like the parody. I like the thought of Rumble at heavyweight. Now, here's another idea if we're just talking about things to talk about them. Why not do one-offs? Here's what a one-off would be. You sign a contract with a guy for one night only. If he wins, whatever allure and rub and shine he gets, he gets to take back to the free market. Now, no MMA promoter wants to do that. That's just not how this sport is played. But other sports, that's exactly how they're played. In fact, if you were to look at boxing, you got Floyd Mayweather and this Paul kid coming up. But that would be what's considered a one-off. Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr., that would be a one-off. Whatever shine either one of them gets for that victory or that win or that loss, but that performance, they can take with them and go do whatever the hell they want with. I bring that to you because we do look like we're in a unique time. Here, let me just throw an example at you. For Bellator, who's Rumble going to fight? Okay, Yoel Romero. There is no long-term play. There is no long-term storyline. There's no implications within a division. Why are we here and why are we fighting? Because they're available and we, the fans, would like to see it. Yoel Romero versus Rumble Johnson. One night only. But if a promoter doesn't have a second and third play with a guy, a lot of times he'll pass on the guy. MMA, we tell a story. The punches and the kicks are a small part as to what we do in MMA to involve and integrate the fan into the ecosystem. It's a small part. We make it as though it's the grand and only part, but it's a small part. The story as to why are we here and what are we doing here, what is this about and what is the significance, is ever bit as important, if not more, than a punch and a kick and a takedown. I bring that to you because a lot of times a promoter will pass on a guy where they go, look, Yoel, there's something here for sure, but this could, not only do we not have a long-term story for you, Every time we sit down creatively, we see where you throw off a story we have for somebody else. We see where you're going to come in and be a bracket buster. We've identified the top five guys. You're number nine, but you could come in and beat any one of these top five guys on any given day, and it ruins the story we're attempting to tell. That's true, and that's real, and that is a spot that Yoel is in, and Yoel will come in and bust a bracket on you. But if you bring him on a one-off, There is no story you're even attempting to tell. Why are we here? Because it's fun and you guys are available. Why else? Next question. It's one of those unique situations where I feel as though we're going to have to change the way that we think. We're going to have to change the way that the sport is done, which is always tough. Anything in life to break tradition and or to break habit is a very tough thing. And I don't know as a long-term sustainable plan that the idea that I'm proposing for you is one that needs to be interjected. I'm talking about in the short term. In a sport that is played like chess, two and three steps ahead, every now and then checkers is a hell of a lot of fun. You got the board out lately, guys? 
You'll have a lot of fun. Just red against black, one piece against one. Who can jump who and become a king? I mean, right? In fairness, there's a reason that that game has withstood time. And it does seem as though whatever is going to happen with a Yoel type, whatever is going to happen with an Anderson Silva type, if you were to use the world of boxing, or we could even use bare knuckle boxing, Yoel Romero versus Anderson Silva, bare knuckle boxing, one night only, who's in? Bare knuckle boxing would be in, and they would not need to sign those guys to long-term deals to try to tell a story or build guys or pad a record for one mega fight. They go, okay, here's there's something special here. Here's what we're willing to bet on this. Who's in? And they'd see who steps forward. I bring that to you because we have a couple of interesting pieces on the board right now. We really do. Fabricio Verdum getting grabbed up and gone over to the PFL. Okay, but now they have a problem, which is who do we put against him? Whereas if you do a one-night only, if it's just one of those things, Ken Shamrock versus Hoist Gracie, neither guy is going to be built into the storylines. We're going to do this one night. Who likes the idea? We've seen times in MMA where this is real. James Tony coming over for Randy Couture. That was always designed to be one night, even if James would have got the jump on Randy. This is a one night. We're going to bring a boxer and an MMA guy. There's a place for that at times. And I would just suggest for you, we might be at that time now. Locking Anderson down to a five-fight deal when he's 44 years old has seemed to turn a lot of promoters off. But to lock Anderson Silva down on a one-night, one-time, this specific opponent who's also over 40, his name's Joel Romero, who's in, seems like the right time. I don't argue for you that Bellator should investigate and go down the road of Rumble Johnson, Joel Romero. What I argue for you is that they could... They could do it now, one time, for example. But it would have to change the way we think and look at MMA, which makes it very unlikely to happen. Either way, Rumble Johnson coming to Bellator, apparently a light heavyweight. You see, Rumble's one of these guys who's going to be a victim of his own success. I mean, don't forget that Rumble Johnson... Because of what he's paid, because of his standing, because of the mere fear factor, not to mention the guys that he's already disposed of, is going to have to fight at the top of a bill. And he's going to have to fight against a top guy. He doesn't get to walk in against the number seven and go, well, you know, I haven't done this in a long time. It doesn't matter. You're still rumble. You're fighting in a main event. You're going to fight one of the baddest guys out there. We saw this happen, guys. For example, just one that's more obvious for you to see would be with Ronda Rousey. When Ronda left the sport... There was a lot of things she still could have done. She could have gone from being champion to one of the gals. But one of the gals is a very honorable spot for most gals, and she could have floated around and got a couple wins over here and stubbed her toe here and come back and sold out this arena with a couple more wins. She could have done that, but her contract, because of her own success, was so beautiful and so alluring that she had to be a main event. And if you've got to be a main event, then you've got to be fighting the top gals. She just wasn't one of them. Moreover, they looked at it as, okay, if you're going to be in the main event, you got to fight the top gals, it's got to be a world title fight. She just, wasn't the, she just wasn't one of those gals, but she was one of the gals for sure. I bring that to you because that was a very obvious one where somebody, because of their own success, contractually put themselves in a really hard spot. Rumble is going to be in a hard spot. Rumble is going to have a hard fight. Am I at all going to get my way that we even investigate heavyweight or is this locked in at light heavyweight? Nah. Well, I guess we'll find out in the future. But as far as what should we do with him and what should we do next, particularly if we expect that Rumble's going to be a, a bracket buster, you don't have to eliminate another top guy on day one. 
which is likely what Rumble is going to do. You're going to have a top guy, and Rumble's likely to come and put him down in less than five minutes like he has so many other guys. There's still ways to do this. So there's something special with Rumble. We want to get his feet wet. Okay, great. Hey, Yoel. See you in Connecticut. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. The topic of the week with the kids on the underground forum was super heavyweight. Talking about the weight class. Should a super heavyweight class be added? And we've heard the talk of, of weights being added. You guys remember the 165 pound. And not only was did this weight want to be added, but then you had a whole bunch of uh, people going, Kevin Lee, Ben Askren, just by example, going, I'll go that weight class. I would love that weight class. In fact, here, we'll help you fill it up right now. But you remember some of this talk. And then for women right now, it's 105 pounds. And the 105 pounds, in, in many ways, is the same problem with the super heavyweight. Super heavyweight would be anything over 265. Used to be known as unlimited. But the heavyweight class itself used to be known as unlimited. It wasn't until they changed the name to heavyweight class that they actually put a cap on the class, and that number's changed. That went from 285 to 275 to 265. It kept getting smaller. And so many people were hoping that the bottom would come up. Raise the bottom up to keep that 285, 270, keep that higher because the only the number one thing you don't want to do is to eliminate somebody from opportunity. Could you imagine being a really big guy, by example, but now being a really big guy also eliminates you from participation? I mean, that would be a very cold and hard thing. You're just a big guy. What are you going to do? You're six foot ten, by example. You're 320 pounds, by example. Like, life and comfortability within life isn't going to be as easy as different sizes that you could have been dealt. And now you're also excluded from certain sports. It's one of these things that was perceived as very cold at the time that it happened, but now has been well invited, and this is what it should be. And this is a healthy amount of weight. I don't know if I agree with that. I've never understood why heavyweight would have a cap. And the other side of the argument was you had guys that were eating themselves to success. You would have guys that were anything but athletic that were winning world and Olympic medals or NCAA titles, specifically to the sports that have weight classes like wrestling, by example. There was a guy named Chris uh, Anderson. Did very good in wrestling. And he couldn't wrestle very well. Uh, But he was an Olympic silver medalist. He was 400 and some pounds. You just simply couldn't move him around. It was one of these deals. And as a way of stopping somebody from eating themselves into success, which sounds like none of your business in the first place, they started to put caps. And they thought there was too big of a gap. And in all fairness, that's what heavyweight is. Right? I mean, that's what heavyweight is. If you're a big guy, you go with other guys who are also big guys, and, and off you go. You don't look into that a a whole lot more. Well, you're a big guy and you're a big guy, but you're a really big guy and all of a sudden this isn't fair. That's kind of just what heavyweight was. And it used to be called unlimited. So I think when the kids on the underground are arguing that unlimited should be brought back, who specifically are you talking about doing that for? If anybody specifically. 
Can you fill a bracket? I mean, it's one of the reasons that it's not going to happen. It's one of the reasons that these, these topics only exist on the Internet is because nobody has the follow-up answer, which is who's going to do it? Who exactly is being excluded that you're talking about here that has some kind of a skill set that should be able to showcase that skill set? But the idea of dropping heavyweight down, I think, is also worth talking about. I don't think that ever should have happened. 285 is what it used to be. Dropped to 75, went down to 265, and that's across the board. The Olympic Games now also recognizes 265 as the top. They wanted to change that as far back as the year 2000. But the, the greatest star in all of wrestling was a Russian athlete named Karelin. And the weight class was 286. Actually, not 280, but 286. And they wanted to drop it to 265, but they knew dropping the class would eliminate Karelin. Karelin had no body fat. He was just all mass and muscle, juiced out of his mind. But he was 286, and he had to cut to make that. So the, the sport did not want to change itself now and eliminate Corellin, the biggest star in the sport. So they waited until the next quadrennium, 2004, to drop the weight class. But they still dropped it 21 pounds. Why drop it at all? Why would you drop heavyweight? Specifically what heavyweight is. And who sits around and decides we're going to go from 286, which is a weird number, to 275 to 264? This is strange. Why would we eliminate participation? And at the same time as you don't want to eliminate participation, when the kids on the underground are talking about adding a 105-pound or adding a superweight class, who is it that's going to participate? Adesanya receives his purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Now, there's a lot of very strange parts to this story. How a guy has a 12-pound gold belt but has a purple belt is bizarre. And whatever coach gave this to him was more trying to speak to his own high standard of learning to promote an athlete. That's the message here. Whatever coach gave Adesanya his purple belt is not trying to serve and praise Adesanya. They're trying to self-serve themselves to go look at how high my standard is. Meanwhile, said coach doesn't have any Abu Dhabi champions, doesn't have anybody Signed to submission undergrad. Right, it's just one of these things, but he, he still couldn't miss the opportunity. And the other side of it is good. Because what are you going to use it for anyway? But what are you going to use a high advanced guard for when you're in the world of MMA anyway? And this is coming from you as a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I will be the first to tell you it is extremely important to have a high understanding of jiu-jitsu it's not, a high, it's not of great importance to be able to invoke it. If you have a skill set of Adesanya, or even if you're the opposite of Adesanya, which is a ground-and-pound guy, you don't want to get caught in submissions, so you need to be an expert in defending submissions. But if you go and watch the history of the sport, there's just not a lot of guys who are actually submitted, particularly from the guard. I mean, if you were to take... Uh, Rear naked chokes out of the equation, you just cut down on MMA submissions tenfold. If you were to eliminate rear naked chokes and guillotines, you almost don't have submissions in the sport of MMA anymore. It's one of these things where Adesanya, no matter how good he gets at jiu-jitsu, the fact and likelihood of him throwing up a submission from his back are very, very limited. If even existent, very limited. If even existent. 
But the amount of time it's going to take him to perfect and master those skills and become a black belt is unlimited. It would be a good 10 years of absolute focus and discipline to get that black belt from a position that that will be based on that is not going to translate into his skill set of MMA. And it's a very slippery slope, MMA and jiu-jitsu. It's a slippery slope because you have to have it. It is a prerequisite to MMA. You cannot do it without having jiu-jitsu. If you believe in jiu-jitsu fully, you're not going to do well in MMA because the 10-9 must system won't allow you to do well. The 10-9 must system in many ways was put in specifically as a deterrent to jiu-jitsu. Now, that's not fair. That's not wonderful news, but that's what happened. You could trace the sport back to 1993 when the Gracie family started it and Hoist was running ragshot. One of the, uh, the biggest concepts that they had was there were no rounds. If a guy earns a position or gets to a position, a fight in real life does not change because X amount of minutes went by. It doesn't change until this position or this fight is solved. And the moment commission stepped in and the first thing they did was put in rounds, the Gracie family left. Now, they came back, I understand, but I'm saying they didn't like that. There was a major philosophical disagreement which speaks to the overarching basis of jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is just is not designed to have minutes here, then minutes here that are that are forced, and then back to minutes here. And if the referee hears the crowd boo and he he's not a a strong guy with his big boy pants on, he can actually let the crowd influence him and bring you back up to your feet. It, it gets strange. So when you have a guy like Adesanya who's got a twelve pound gold belt, but now he's got a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, you have a commentary from the coach who's trying to uh, pat himself on the he's trying to shine his own wheels, not his athletes. For one, and secondly, good. If Adesanya could be an absolute master, a Mason Fowler style, Craig Jones esque master, master off of his back right now, or, or. And this won't come with a belt, but he can get up off the bottom from anybody. You're much better to have option two. Much better. It's more difficult. It's going to take more energy. There's an easier, lazier way. But it's also meant as a defensive posture. The guard is meant as a defensive position for I have been overwhelmed. I have a bigger opponent or I have a better opponent. I have been overwhelmed positionally, but I'm not done yet. Watch what I can do. That's the beauty of it. That is the absolute beauty that captivated everybody, but it's still meant as defensive. And if Adesanya were to get down, I can think back, Randy Couture, my teammate, we were training together. He's getting ready to fight Josh Barnett. And at that same time, Randy started working on his guard. Josh Barnett gets on time, which represented the very first time that Randy Couture was ever on bottom, at least in a bad position for a meaningful amount of time in his entire career, and now all of a sudden defaults to his guard work, as opposed to the 20 years he has spent in amateur wrestling of getting an underhook and getting back up to his feet and trying to get on top himself. He deferred back to this guard work. He stayed in that position. 12 elbows, the loss of a championship, and an orbital surgery later... He learned, but so did the rest of us that were training with him. That's not where you want to be. All right, guys, I got to run out of here. I am headed to the weigh-ins. Check us out on the ESPN Twitter show. We'll be back next Wednesday to recap it all. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.
Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Guys, you need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yes, free. No subscription. No fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge watch. You're going to binge shows. You're going to be up to speed on the latest news. You're going to catch live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in, watch free. New to Podcast One Sportsnet, Michael Irvin and Ron Jaworski. The MIP. I am the MVP of the MIP. I am Michael Irvin, and I got a great show. It was a shock. It was a shock to the system. (laughs) I went to practice the next day. I made every tackle. No big deal. Any other coach out here, you lose, you will leave too. But let me tell you what I pulled out of last week. And it made me say, oh, that's a playmaker right there. Y'all saw it. I'm the guy, right? I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Look out! Trouble is coming. (laughs) Hello, everyone. This is Eagles Hall of Fame quarterback Ron Jaworski. And I am so excited to bring you the hottest new podcast for the NFL and gaming. Welcome to Jaws Picks, featuring me, Ron Jaworski, as I give you my expert analysis and predictions of each and every NFL game. And you could hear the quarterbacks like it was a yeah, practice. Yeah. And man, I was just loving hearing the quarterbacks call everything at the line of scrimmage. You know, they've kind of solved some of their problems over the last couple weeks, man. They were getting gutted on defense, but that's 53.3% correct against the spread. Download new episodes of the Michael Irvin Podcast every Thursday and Jaws Picks with Ron Jaworski every Wednesday and Friday on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.